Benjamin, do you want to read Digosauruses by Michael Waite? Yes. What's bigger than a dinosaur? Bigger than a digger? Digosauruses are bigger. Digosauruses dig with bites so big. Each scoop creates a crater. Chomp. Benjamin, is this your favorite book? Maybe. Hi, everybody. It's that time again, connecting through isolation, week six already. The uncertainty of living in isolation certainly has me digging deep and reflecting on my life these days. What do we want our lives to look like after this? What do we value? What do we want to keep and what are we happy to let go? One common theme that we hear again and again is the reliance on family during these uncertain times. And with that in mind, today's episode is a bit of a family affair. We opened just now with our producer Sam DiFilippo and her son Ben. You met them on 2233 a few weeks ago, and we want to continue to check in with them and see the quarantine world through the eyes of a brand new two-year-old. Our producer, Ana Maria Sinatine, is back with more quarantine memes. And this week's feature story was produced by our own Kate Furby, who remotely interviews her neighbor, who just happens to be a previous 2233 guest and Fulbright alumnus. And Seth Glear, a musical friend of the podcast, shared with us a brand new song, about life in these times. We also know that many people are turning to books to help get them through these days. So this week, we take a close look at what people are reading and recommending, our very own quarantine book list. Finally, we've begun hosting Instagram Live events every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time. So in addition to our Friday morning podcast, follow us on Instagram at 22.33 underscore stories, where we catch up with former podcast guests. Next week, I'll talk with Tony and Leslie Memel, two musicians who have traveled for our American Music Abroad program. They might even treat us to some live music. Stories this week from Mount Pleasant, right here in Washington, D.C., to a remote village in Pakistan, to the capital of Bangladesh, and featuring book recommendations from all over the world. Connecting through isolation, it's 2233. Politicians, scientists, and even celebrities all want us to practice social distancing. This is a recording for 2233, and it's in the COVID crisis. Things are unpredictable. I think that people perhaps will be thinking that they are stuck at home. So we're asking everyone to be selfless for others. We're all in this together. We all have a voice. We all have a story to tell. Every day, the couple next door brings like a plated lunch out onto the deck and eats it with a fork. Sometimes I chat with them through my window while I'm like eating M&Ms in front of my computer. I'm doing fine. At the beginning of the lockdown, when I realized that I might have to stay home for like a long, long time, I actually thought I might be fine with it. 
I'm an introvert. I like jigsaw puzzles. I don't even know if I like people that much. I don't want to tell you that I've been training for this my whole life. But, like, what if I have? A couple months ago, my roommate left to stay with family. I, I actually can't remember the last time I hugged anyone. That's what I fell asleep thinking about last night. So much has changed so fast. I don't know if I like people more. It might be less, really, based on how wildly I avoid them on the sidewalk now. But even still, I'm realizing how much I value human interaction. And right now, that means my neighbors. I usually travel so much, I never bothered to become a plant person. But now I want to grow food. I don't want to go to the store, so I'm baking bread. I know, it's so basic. But my neighbors, they chime in with advice on my scraggly seedlings, offer sourdough starter. They play music on the porch. They project movies on the back wall. Maybe these things seem small, but they are my world right now. This is a story about the power of neighbors and music and how one corner of Washington, D.C. is making it through. That's a good one. That is a sexy one. Yeah. Alright, I am I am running on this side. And I think this level looks good. Perfect. I was really worried that the neighbors would um, not have this reaction. After the first week that the band played in the backyard, some kind neighbor left us a bottle of wine with a nice note thanking us for the music, and um, which I um, wiped down when I got home, but then in, you know enjoyed it very much, and that was really nice. And actually, it turns out that some of Soren, some of uh, the bandmates' um, work colleagues, actually live in our neighborhood as well, and we're we're talking on their internal work uh, chat about. You know, oh, there's this band that's been playing on the weekend. Like, we don't know who it is, but they're really cool. And, and Soren chimed in, like, that was us. <laughs> that's actually me. Tim is our neighborhood renaissance man. He's a science journalist, musician, and baker. He agreed to do this interview with me as part of our Connecting Through Isolation series because he's actually already been on the 2233 episode as a Fulbright alum. So we decided to try to do this interview in a new way, uh, which involved me placing a sanitized microphone into a bucket, which he then hoisted up uh, from my porch to his. <laughs> All right, here she comes. Thanks. Here comes the bucket. Oh, sweet. I am Tim McDonald. I am a science journalist for um, the business magazine Quartz, and I was a 2016-2017 Fulbright National Geographic Storytelling Fellow in Kenya, Uganda, and Nigeria. Child, it's grown old. If dreams were lightning. I, I started out in middle school band um, playing the tuba, 
and I was like the tuba guy all through middle school and high school. And I went to college at first actually as a tuba major. Um, but guitar, for, for me, it's it's very meditative. And you know, well before this coronavirus crisis, I mean, for the last decade at least, it's been something that I've spent a couple hours a day practicing uh, and and playing. And you know, it's for me it, that it, that's my meditation. To believe in this living is just a hard way to go. I just moved into the neighborhood in December, so most of the time I've lived here, the weather has been pretty cold. Is playing music outside something you were doing before the pandemic? When we started getting this band together, we were usually going to um, a rehearsal space. We would always go practice there because they have amps and a drum set and microphones and everything that you can kind of set up and like play really loud and not bother anyone. And <laughs> so doing it in the backyard is is um, more of a product of, uh, you know, the need for social distancing. Obviously, you know, those rehearsal spaces are not open right now. And um, so, you know, we're kind of making do with with what we can. But I feel like it's it's had the best, it's had the benefit of, you um, you know, being fun for neighbors, hopefully, not too annoying and <laughs> to listen to. And um, yeah, we, so we've been enjoying it. Can I just say at this point that Tim is grossly underestimating this? I'm basically trapped in my apartment with my dog. I can't see anyone because I'm taking isolation like extremely seriously. I'm not even going on walks with people. That means my main human interaction, like my main face to face, are my neighbors and this band. We have a really interesting neighbor setup, and I've been feeling throughout this crisis um, really lucky uh, with the setup that we have because, um, you know, we have a bunch of neighbors that are all really close friends. Can everyone cheer? I have to now. And our, our backyard is kind of a, an interesting setup. So we have, um, you know, the, the, these are two adjacent row houses um, that each have an upstairs and downstairs balcony. And, you know, everybody can kind of socialize and enjoy themselves uh, in this really cool way. And so I've been feeling really lucky to have this community. And um, I guess they've also been beneficiaries of, of the the band, uh, you know, our backyard is big enough that we're able to have the four members of the band kind of set up um, <clears throat> at different levels of the backyard and spread out so we can maintain distance from each other. But, um, you know, it's a rock band, so we don't have any problem <laughs> hearing each other. And um, we got we got really lucky because um, it used to be a trio, and then we had a new neighbor move in to the, the, uh, the, the attic apartment, this guy Max, who turned out to be... Uh, an amazing guitar player so so he's in the group and so it's actually very convenient he just walks downstairs i walk downstairs we set up in the backyard um and and it, it works out really well super fun yeah between the band playing every sunday and skylar our upstairs neighbor projecting movies out into the back the neighbor dynamic has made everything better and it's totally changed this experience for me yeah i think our neighbor dynamic has has been absolutely crucial for getting getting through this thing yeah so no that's that's been really fun i think our next goal for that is to um to set up some karaoke on that and <laughs> yes. do some shouted karaoke from the from the balconies i mean this is a situation where we're all sort of you know living in ways that we're not accustomed to and spending a lot more time at home and in some ways technology 
um, video conferencing and everything has has allowed us to kind of function effectively as a society across much greater distances. Video conference parties with your friends, even that kind of thing. So we're in one sense we're sort of connected over great distances, but but at the same time, I think because we're all at home. Um, you know, I think it is causing people to sort of take a look around at who are the people that you can actually still have a face-to-face -face conversation with. Um, and, you know, you've seen like videos of this um, on social media from, from cities all over the world where people are standing on their balconies and singing together or, you know, cheering or just, you know, uh, making music, you know, just kind of coming together in this way where most of the time we w those are people that you would probably just totally ignore, which is a sad uh, thing about our society. So in a way, it's, it's really nice um, that this has forced us to sort of take that second look, um, get to know these these faces a little bit better. And, and yeah, and certainly, you know, these are people who have become uh, my closest friends throughout all of this are, are my neighbors. Those are the people that I'm seeing every day and, you know, are really helping me get through this. Um, and so I, and I, and I do feel really lucky in that respect. Tears roll down your cheeks. Every morning I wake up during quarantine <laughs> with this like feeling of dread. And then I look at my phone and see what time it is. And I get stuck in this hole of social media and news. I, re I remember you said when you wake up, you try to do um, like a pause on all that stuff. I hate waking up and, and you know, f feeling like I have to immediately go to work. I want to be able to enjoy some like moments of peace throughout my day. You have to f you have to make a very concerted effort to do that. It's not something that's going to come easily or come naturally. You have to work hard on giving yourself a break from work. <laughs> it's kind of counterintuitive, but I think it it can really make a huge difference in your life if you if you sort of force yourself to take some time, take space and and also just, you know, remind yourself as well that it's also okay to just do nothing. You know, you can take time throughout your day to just sit on the couch and think and not look at a screen and you don't have to be doing anything. You know, there's a, people are talking a lot these days about what we can kind of do to like make the most productive use of our of our at-home time and you know, this is the time to redo your apartment or, you know, learn a bunch of new skills or something. I mean, and that, you know, it that that's all great, but it's also okay to just sit and do nothing and give your mind your mind needs a moment to just to reset and to you know re that's going to make you so much more productive if you've given yourself just a little bit of space just just relax and take your mind off of it i think that that can really go a long way it's for me it's essential i, I have to yeah i've been thinking about that a lot the last couple of days in fact yesterday when you guys were playing music um I had set my hammock up on the porch and I was just laying there listening to you guys like play music and talk, like not even reading a book, just laying there. And it was like the best thing I did all day. Absolutely. Definitely. Oh, I'm glad that our conver I'm glad that our conversation was so stimulating to listen to. <laughs> when I was a young girl, I had me a cowboy. He much to look at, just a free uh, and it, you know another thing that's been interesting for me is so mo most of the time I cover climate change. That's my main beat, and um, that's obviously this other sort of existential 
crisis that's looming over society. But but in some ways, you know, most of the time, except when you have major disasters or, or things like that, you know, cl- climate change is kind of a slow drip. Um, it's a long-term process of change, um, and it's not always really evident in, in most people's daily lives. Um, and so that can make it sometimes challenging to report on because you want it to... St- you know, stay relevant for people. You want it to feel immediate, and and for many people it is. But you know, it, it's a challenge as a as a journalist. And so this, you know, but then covering coronavirus has been like, you know, the immediacy is is so obvious, and it it's kind of picking up the pace um, so much. So that's that's just been a really interesting challenge to work on. Yeah, yeah. As as a scientist who studied climate change, uh, I think about that. There was this meme on the internet early on. I think things were funnier then. Um, and everyone's freaking out about the pandemic. And then it's like, climate scientists, welcome to the apocalypse. We've been here for some time. <laughs> Just like feeling existential dread, but like far more acute and widespread and obvious than it was before. Right. Um, and, you know, at the same time, I think this crisis has been a chance to... Um, for society to kind of come together in addressing a global challenge in a way that could be a kind of hopeful signal for climate change if it shows, you know, here we are, we're all facing this this immediate crisis. Um, you know, everyone in the world is kind of joining hands and trying to work together on this problem in a way that I, I can't think of any other example of when we've had this kind of global co- cooperation on, on any problem ever, it's certainly not in my lifetime. I really want to talk about how you're dealing with this in terms of your job. I think a lot of people are talking about the news cycle, getting them down, and and how it's really tough. But as a journalist, you're like inside the news cycle. Yeah, um, it it is tough to be inside the news cycle uh, during something like this because it is kind of all-consuming. And, um, and, you know, from a personal perspective, perspective it, it can be tough because um, you know you're just you're you're in this kind of coronavirus zone all day and then you know even when you go after hours to talk to your friends of course in social settings th- that's what everyone is talking about anyway so it, it does feel like it's hard to get a break and my my partner is also a journalist and you know she's been doing amazing work um, really on like daily wall-to-wall coronavirus coverage um, that's you know even more exhausting than than what I've been doing and so you know we're and so we're it, we're living in this bubble together and um you know I think it's been really important for us to try to make a concerted effort to take breaks from work especially you know first thing in the morning and and in the evening to try really hard to not look at our phones to not be on you know uh, chatting with with colleagues or you know just be able to to turn off and unplug even more so than um, you know, maybe we would have normally done before this. And also to dive into, um, you know, our, our kind of other hobbies, if it's if it's music or, or making art or, you know, doing other things that we're doing to, to try to keep each other sane, baking a lot, obviously, as, as everyone is doing. Um, those things have become even more important to kind of get a break from the news cycle. thing that's coming to mind, I mean, this is, you know, maybe this is like too shameless, but um, 
yeah, you know, I, I think actually I, I can really say that the time that I spent uh, on my Fulbright project um, really was a kind of crash course in resilience for me in a lot of ways that I was spending a lot of time traveling and and working on projects and you know trying to see what would work and what wouldn't work and having to scrap plans and come up with new ones at the last minute for you know the, the stories that I was trying to tell in that context and um, you know just getting used to sort of rolling with the punches and finding ways to cope with really stressful circumstances um, that was all you know th- those were all lessons that I learned uh, during that Fulbright that I think have have really stuck with me and that have been important through this coronavirus crisis as well. So I, I'm really appreciative of that experience. I can really relate to Tim's closing words here. This pandemic, this really hard to understand virus, it's changed the topography of every day. It makes the joyful moments sharper and more focused because they are staccatoed into long periods of chronic stress. And I can tell you that a big part of my daily joy when I can grab it is the people around me, my neighbors, and of course, my dog, Banjo. time for quarantine memes from Anna Maria. Is anyone else turning corners at the supermarket like you're at a haunted house? 2020 came out looking like a warm chocolate chip cookie. Then one bite in and bam, surprise, it's oatmeal raisin. Home isolation has its ups and downs. One day you're flying high, being productive and cleaning the baseboards with a Q-tip, and the next day you're drinking wine and watching squirrels out the window. There's no in between. 2020 in one sentence. A roll of toilet paper is worth more than a barrel of oil. When your boss asks if you can give him a call. Can I call you back in three hours? I'm cleaning my groceries right now. I'm now attending graduate school in the city of Maastricht in the Netherlands. As I set on a journey towards Italy in 2016, for my undergraduate education, I would have never thought that it would take me four years to return home to see my loved ones and to hug my beloved mother once again. To my disappointment, COVID-19 hit the world and it feels that even after four years, I might not be able to return home soon. As I sit in my room and try to work on the daunting and long master's thesis for my university, one thing still keeps me going and motivates me to hang in there. That thing is the realization of the real essence of human freedom, which is usually not realized during times of peace. This brings me to an aspect of my life which keeps me focused and motivated. It is my love for philosophy and reading philosophy. 
the famous French philosopher Sartre writes that freedom is not the freedom to do something, but the possibility of choice, so choose. Paradoxically, the freedom to choose creates anxiety, fear and self-deception, leading to inauthentic lives. This leaves us with the possibility that a human being is free when he comes to the realization that something is lacking in his life. And by acknowledging it, he or she commits to a purpose in his or her life. This is usually realized in times of war and occupation. Our war is with COVID-19 and we have been occupied by this enemy by putting us all in lockdown behind closed doors. The silver lining, however, is that human beings have started to realize what's lacking in their lives. It starts from the simple beam, Earth is healing, which means we have been slowly destroying nature, to people regretting over not spending enough time with their loved ones before the lockdown. What's lacking in our lives among many examples includes the closeness which we once experienced both with the nature and with our loved ones. Amid this lockdown and hard times, I am happy for myself, my loved ones and all the friends I have made around the world. I am happy that finally we will realize the real essence of human freedom. After all, what other end result could motivate us to continue our hard work and robust toil if not the achievement and realization of our freedom? A freedom satisfying in all its aspects. So hopefully once this is over we will get to choose again and not merely for the sake of being able to do something this time but to fix and fulfill what our lives lack and maybe to reward what has been taken from us by technology, automation and the quest for modern materialistic needs. The freedom awaits us and it is upon us that how we shape the human condition for our coming generations. Shujat Ali is from a small village in Pakistan called Chi Chitral. He is an alumnus of ECA's Youth Exchange and Study, or YES, program, where he attended a year of high school in New Auburn, Wisconsin. He checked in with us from Maastricht in the Netherlands, where he is both attending graduate school and stuck far away from home. Earlier this week, I was thrilled to find a new song by Seth Glear in our 2233 inbox. Seth is a veteran American music abroad performer, serving as a cultural ambassador around the world. We're grateful to present this brand new song, Till Further Notice, which poignantly captures the current mood. Still I'm resigned 
Seth's music, I encourage you to go to sethclear.com. The positive things that I see in these days are enjoying my times with my family members and especially reading my favorite books. I, with my team, The Bookies, started a campaign by a message of let's recommend our favorite book to encourage our members, friends and other Afghans to read books and share a few lines of their thoughts about the book that they have read. And in regards to literature, uh, I always keep this uh, copy of the Tao Te Ching, a Stephen Mitchell translation of the Tao Te Ching uh, on hand. And it's one of those books where you can kind of just open up and any page you find you'll find yourself somewhere on that page. It's a, a powerful book in that way. Divine Comedy by Dante Alighieri. As a computer science professor, I'm actually doing the reverse and using my extra time at home to actually get back to reading books. So I've been reading Code Girls by Lisa Monday, which is a story about American women code breakers from World War II. It includes topics of bravery and pulling together when needed. I hope that when back in the classroom to use these examples to encourage more women that they can succeed in anything if they just put their mind to it and work together. There's a book inspiring me or helping me through this right now. It's anti-fragile. I was reading it kind of when coronavirus broke. And so there's a weird parallel between uh, the world presented in there 
in different parts in the world I we all live in right now. And it's uh, making me understand about how every once in a while we need to have things break um, and uh, for better, for worse. And it hurts and there's some growing pains, but we become more resilient out of it. One book I've read during quarantine is The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. It's part speculative fiction, sci-fi, part philosophy, theology that tells the story of Jesuit priests and scientists leading a secret mission to a newly discovered planet in order to make first contact with intelligent life forms. Let's just say there's no happy ending, but it's definitely a book that draws you into another reality and helps the days go by. A Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela. The title is apt, uh, so is the book itself. Uh, where which, which recounts the amazing story of Nelson Mandela who stayed locked for almost three decades. Uh, may we be the best version of ourselves. May we get the courage to see it and the determination to believe it. I've been reading A Joy-Filled Life, Lessons from a Tenant Farmer's Daughter Who Became a CEO. Author is Mo Anderson. I read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I really find valuable and very applicable in my life. I feel that this moment has given me a real gift in that um, just gives me a chance to learn so much. I'm also diving very deep into Russian literature and Dostoevsky and some of that. So, uh, you know, kind of the big stuff that that would take a lot of time. Um, and because of that, I've always put it on the back burner. But this is a great time. 1984 by George Orwell. The Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson. How to Lose a Country, The Seven Steps from Democracy to Dictatorship by Eje Timo Kuran. I actually have three books with me right now. I'm almost halfway through Angela Duckworth's Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. It's such an amazing book for teachers who want to prepare their students for 21st century. I also have Why Nations Fail. This is by Darren Asimoglu and James A. Robinson. And the last book that I have, I'm gravitating towards biographies. So I have Becoming by Michelle Obama. Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Dubliners by James Joyce. The Ground Beneath Her Feet, Salman Rushdie. I am currently on an old-timey mystery kick right now. I'm currently reading The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And I just finished The Mysterious Affair at Stiles by Agatha Christie. And also Murder on the Orient Express by Agatha Christie. I also just finished The Water Dancer by ta Coates. And I'm trying to keep up my Arabic by reading Frankenstein fi Baghdad by Ahmad Zadawi. Chicken Soup for the Soul, written by G. Comfort and Mark Victor Hansen. Currently rereading The Kabbalist by Geert Kimpen. It's an amazing novel, very inspiring. Everybody I've talked to so far, it had an impact on them, on their personal lives, and then Therefore, during this corona crisis, I am re-reading The Kabbalist. I am currently reading, or I better say, I got back to reading this book called Factfulness, 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think by Hans Rosling. And I think it's a, a very important time to understand facts and read this book, because this book is about all of us uh, who do not see the world as it really is. And 
Uh, it's about how facts, relying on facts, uh, can make us feel more positive, less stressed, and more hopeful about this world. I'm, I'm digging stuff out uh, to see what I can reread since I've read everything already. I decided against Camus' The Plague and Marquez's Love in the Time of Cholera because I, as appropriate as those might have been, I just didn't think it would be too uplifting. So instead, I went for Italo Calvino. He's one of my favorites. And then I, I picked up Rita Mae Brown's Ruby Fruit Jungle, which I also hadn't read in many, many, many years. And I know because because the, the price on the book is a dollar. That's a, that's a book about challenges, and, and it's full of humorous anecdotes. So I'm looking forward to reading that again. And then uh, Bonnie and Sarah Don, uh, the Jewel Garden. Bonnie Don is a uh, master gardener. He and his wife Sarah had, had a jewelry business. They overextended themselves and ended up losing everything. And with many of my friends now uh, on the verge of perhaps losing everything, I, I really wanted to read this book because it's also about them um, looking inward and finding the strength to, uh, to carry on in a different way and build these beautiful gardens. And so I'm looking forward to it. I am reading The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. I hope this chilling story of a dystopian future could never happen. The book I would recommend right now is Exhalation by Ted Chiang. It's thoughtful sci-fi without being scary or apocalyptic. I really enjoyed every page. And the next book I'd like to read is How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. I don't know that much about it, but I feel like those are the lessons I need right now. Twenty Two Thirty Three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name is Christopher Worst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. Twenty Two Thirty Three is named for Title Twenty Two, Chapter Thirty Three of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, we heard from 2233 friends, new and old, who were kind enough during these times of uncertainty to record themselves talking about what is inspiring them and what they are feeling. Huge thanks to Tim McDonald, Seth Galeer, Shujat Ali, and Shomi Hassan Chowdhury. Our book recommendations this week came from all over the place. Thanks in order to Bahara Hussani from Pakistan, Seth Galeer, Massachusetts, Munif Khan, Bangladesh, Melissa Stang, Virginia, David Radar, Washington, D.C., Anna Maria Sinatine, Washington, D.C., Sultan Mehmood, Pakistan, Kyle Dillingham, Oklahoma, Malik from Uzbekistan, Carla Canales from New York City, Dimitri and Elena Wurst from Minneapolis, Alyssa Meyer from Virginia, Anito Ramos Librando Jr., the Philippines, Richard Steiner, Melbourne, Australia, Grace Benton, Virginia, Inusa Al-Hassan, Ghana, Chantal Suisarun, the Netherlands, Ruta Bienarute, 
Lithuania, Lenny Russo, St. Paul, Minnesota, Bernadette Sell, Hungary, and Kate Furby, right here in Washington, D.C. And listeners, we would love to hear about your thoughts and inspiration during these times. It could be a story, a poem, or a song, whatever you're feeling. Please send your audio to us at 2233 at state.gov. That's 2233 at state.gov. You can always find more information about the podcast and complete episode transcripts at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. And of course, you should follow us on Instagram at 22.33 underscore stories. Special thanks to everybody for their participation this week. The 2233 team working from various locations was brilliant as always. Thanks to Kate Furby, Ana Maria Sinatine, Samantha DiFilippo, Edward Stewart, and Desiree Williamson. Kate Furby helped with the script and designs our awesome graphics. Ana Maria scours the internet for the highest quality memes, and Sam and Ben spend a lot of time analyzing trucks. Special thanks also to Bilal Khan for rounding up a bunch of Yes alumni to share their voices with us. Huge thanks to Seth Clear for sharing his amazing song, Till Further Notice. Thanks also to Richard Steigner, who recorded the Quarantine Memes theme, which we all love. And of course, the music of Tim McDonald, which has been a gift to his Washington, D.C. neighbors. Other music this week included Step In, Step Out by Blue Dot Sessions. And the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagirlius. Until next time, stay healthy, everybody. My quote, my inspiration quote for everyone is, don't get sad, get glad that we've been part of, we've been through this together, we'll, and then we will win through this together, and we'll have this you know, experience that we've been part of something that we shared across the continents, across the borders, and that definitely makes a difference uh, in the way how we perceive how we are so connected within one another.